Thank you so much. It's wonderful being with you guys. Um, a real pleasure to be back. We were here last year, and it's wonderful to, to get to see you again and to spend more time together. Um, I just thought I'd share before we turn to the passage that um, hearing Karen talk reminded me that a big part of becoming like Jesus is actually caring for children. Jesus cared for children, and uh, the prophet Malachi said one of the hallmarks of the Messianic age is that the the prophets would uh, restore the hearts of fathers back to their children, children back to their fathers. And so I just want to encourage you guys to keep on caring for children's welfare because that's something that is a hallmark of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah, bless you guys for all that. Uh, we're going to be spending some time in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, won't you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And this morning is really about rejoicing in all the privileges we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what uh, this uh, first chapter in the book of Peter is, is about. Sorry. Um, and so we're going to be looking at this uh, beautiful passage and, and reflecting on the many, many privileges that we have in our salvation. So I'm going to read the passage and then pray before we jump into it. 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 to verse 12. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray. Father, as we look into these things now, we pray that your Holy Spirit sent from heaven would help us to understand how great a salvation we have. Thank you for your remarkable mercy. Thank you for these wonderful blessings. We've sung about them this morning. We've experienced them in our hearts. We pray that as we look at your word, we would grow in our understanding of just how blessed we are. Amen. Well, one of the things I, I, I love to do is read fiction. Reading uh, really good novels, I think, is a way of growing in your understanding of the experiences 
others have had. Uh, it really kind of widens your worldview. You can actually even grow your empathy, I think, if it's a good enough novel. Helps you really get into the shoes of someone else. Uh, one of the novels that's moved me deeply uh, that I've read is Alan Payton's classic, Cry the Beloved Country. If you haven't read it, this is a must-read. And it's a very uh, poignant book, a very powerful book, a very sad book about the state of South Africa during apartheid. Um, it's a heartbreaking book, but it gives you an insight into the kind of destruction and psychological and spiritual pain that was inflicted onto uh, the majority of South Africans during that time. And one of the things that happens to me as I read that novel is I appreciated afresh all the privileges we enjoy today. Uh, the privileges of living in a, in a free South Africa, democratic South Africa, the privileges of having a multiracial family, of being in a multiracial church, the, the beauty of diversity that we now get to enjoy. And it's easy when things are difficult, as there are still many challenges in South Africa today, it is easy when there are challenges to forget the privileges and to start to take things for granted. And, and that's what difficulties tend to do. They, they, they actually take our eyes off the privileges that we enjoy. It's true politically. It's also true relationally. I'm sure if you have really good relationships, one of the biggest dangers is that you start taking them for granted. You've got a spouse who's very attentive and caring. You can take them for granted. You've got uh, parents or children that love you. Uh, you've got people in your community, friends, people in your church that are really committed to your welfare. It is so easy uh, to take those for granted, to forget how, how privileged we are. And if that's true uh, politically and relationally, well, then I think it's also true spiritually. You see, it is easy for us to take for granted all the blessings that we have. We hear about it so often. We come to church so regularly. And after a while, the wonder and the thrill of all the spiritual blessings we have get taken for granted. We get used to them. They become old news, not good news, just old news. And we start to forget just how privileged we are. And the Apostle Peter, being a really good pastor, knows this. And 1 Peter is written to a group of Christians going through some difficulty, going through some struggles. And Peter begins the letter by reminding them of all the privileges they have in their relationship with God. Peter doesn't want them to take their spiritual blessings for granted. He doesn't want them to forget all that they have. And so he writes this letter to remind them of how privileged they truly are. And he begins uh, with this long sentence. Verses 3 to 12 are one sentence in the original Greek. <laughs> Peter is overflowing with excitement as he describes to them and reminds them all that they have. Now, I'm going to try my best to communicate some of Peter's excitement, but as you know, I, 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 that's not a strong point for me. Uh, so this is, uh, this is me being really overjoyed right now. <laughs> and we are going to look at some of these privileges in a little bit more detail so that Peter's excitement in the gospel can start to uh, impact us and we can start to be freshly impacted by all these wonderful blessings. And the first blessing that Peter calls us to rejoice in is our future inheritance. We're called to rejoice in our future inheritance because it is glorious and secure. 
Take a look again at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter begins with this cry of praise, and he rejoices in this living hope. It's a living hope because it's a vibrant hope, and it's a hope of life, of eternal life with Jesus and future glory. That's the hope that we have, this vibrant, living hope of future life with glory uh, in Christ. And he describes this in different ways, um, as a salvation, as a living hope. But in verse 4, you'll see that he uses the word inheritance. In your um, relationship with Christ, you have an inheritance. And one of the things that is uh, important to recognize about Peter is that he is steeped in Old Testament imagery and Old Testament truths. And he takes this inheritance idea out of the Old Testament and he applies it to the salvation we now enjoy in Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, the inheritance that believers enjoyed was the promised land. That was the inheritance that God had promised his people, that they would live in this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, uh, the land where God himself would dwell. Now, Peter says, actually, your inheritance is your future life in the kingdom of God with Christ. It's, it's not just a promised land. It's actually the promised new heavens and new earth that will span uh, a new creation. It's an even better inheritance Uh, It's the fulfillment, really, of the promised Old Testament inheritance. It's the ultimate hope that lies before believers. This inheritance is our living hope, this future life in glory with Jesus. And it is a glorious inheritance that will span this new creation, that will go on for eternity. And if you take a look again at verse 4, it will never perish, spoil, or fade. That is to say, it will never be corrupted or ruined. It will never become stained or dirty. And it will never fade. Its beauty and majesty will never end. You'll never get tired of it. You'll never get bored with it. It is an inheritance that is absolutely glorious and will be glorious for all eternity. Now, uh, you might... Uh, have experienced receiving an inheritance before, an earthly inheritance, and sometimes an earthly inheritance can be glorious, maybe, depending on what you get. Uh, Maybe uh, a nice house, uh, maybe some artwork, uh, sometimes finances or a car, and sometimes there can be a sort of glory in an earthly inheritance, but that glory can fade, right? Houses need a lot of maintenance and a lot of care. Uh, Artwork can get damaged and fade. Money can get lost. Cars can break down. Uh, Earthly inheritances have maybe, at the best of times, a little bit of glory in them. (laughs) But it is a glory that is fading, a glory that won't last. The glory that Peter talks about here is a glory that will never fade. Ten million years from now, the inheritance that you have in Christ will be just as glorious. It's hard for us to imagine that, hey? It is a glory that will never fade. It is a glory that will go on and on and on and on. So our future inheritance is absolutely glorious. More than that, though, our future inheritance is secure. Take a look again at verse 4. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
It's being kept by God. That's the point that Peter is making. This inheritance is being guarded by God. It's like he's the security guard around this inheritance, this powerful security guard no one can get past. He is protecting your inheritance. He is keeping it safe for you. It is already there waiting for you, and it is being guarded for you. It is being kept safe so that it will not get lost. Now again, with uh, comparing this to an earthly inheritance, we can see how wonderful this is because an earthly inheritance sometimes isn't always very safe. Lots of uh, movies or novels have been written about all the drama that can go on with an inheritance. Um, here's a true story that is uh, a tragic true story of how an inheritance can be very unsafe. Uh, there was a billionaire, uh, a woman by the name of Nina Wang, who had uh, received the diagnosis that she had ovarian cancer. She was very ill. She obviously had lots of money, which she had left to her family. But uh, a feng shui master by the name of Tony Chan promised her the keys to eternal life in exchange for the inheritance. So she voided her will, which was to be given to her family and to the charity, to various charities, and she gave the entire will to Tony Chan, and the eternal life that he promised ended three years later as she passed away, and the family got nothing. You see, an inheritance in this world can be very insecure, can actually disappear right before your eyes. But the inheritance that Peter is talking about is being kept in heaven for you. It is being guarded by God himself. It is being kept safe for you. So that no matter what happens, you will receive that glorious inheritance. It is absolutely secure. More than that, and this is actually pretty breathtaking, it isn't just being kept safe in heaven. Verse 5, your faith is being kept safe as well. Take a look at verse 5. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. Peter's point is not just that your inheritance is being kept safe in heaven, but that God is keeping your faith safe as well so that you'll get to heaven. The language here, again, actually comes out of the Old Testament idea of the angel who would guard God's people through the wilderness. We actually sang a little bit about this this morning. One of the songs talks about God as our guardian. That's an Old Testament idea. You might remember when God rescued his people out of Egypt, as they traveled through the wilderness, he provided a guardian, an angel, to actually keep them safe. That's what Peter is saying here, is that God himself isn't just guarding your inheritance he is guarding your faith so that you will receive your inheritance because the, the only thing that can block you from your inheritance is unbelief. It's actually your biggest enemy. And so God isn't just keeping your inheritance safe. He is keeping your faith safe. He is guarding you. Joe Packer puts it this way, Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is holding on to you. How wonderful is that? No matter how stubborn you are, you are not strong enough to resist God's grace. If he wants to bring you into his new heaven and his new earth, he is going to do it, which is a wonderful truth. We are being kept safe for this glorious future inheritance. This isn't something we should take for granted, hey? This is an incredible, wonderful truth 
There are a lot of things we look forward to in our lives. We look forward to graduating, maybe, to getting a job, maybe to getting married, to having kids, to those kids graduating. <laughs> there are all sorts of things that you can look forward to, all sorts of things that lie in your future that are glorious to a degree, but nothing can compare with this. And this is, a, this is an inheritance that is safe. It is absolutely guaranteed. No matter what you go through, this inheritance is being kept safe for you, and we should rejoice in it. That's Peter's point. We should rejoice in our future inheritance. The second thing we can rejoice in, though, is that we can keep rejoicing in the midst of our present experience, which is a painful experience. So take a look at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, talking about this inheritance. Verse 6, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. You see, Peter isn't naive. He isn't unaware of the fact that life is actually really hard. And in verse 6, he talks about um, all kinds of trials, right? Persecution, calamity, illness, uh, economic poverty, uh, relational breakdown, whatever it is, all kinds of trials can cause grief. And this is a really interesting and quite a complex concept that Peter's introducing us into. On the one hand, we're rejoicing in our salvation. On the other hand, we're experiencing grief. It's really where that means sadness. And in some ways, it's the opposite of joy. And it's hard for us to kind of get our heads around this because I think as Christians, we tend to think, well, I've got this glorious inheritance. I should always be happy. There'll be no sadness. Or we think, okay, no, life sucks now. There's no joy now until heaven. I'll be happy in heaven, but I won't be happy now. But Peter says it's actually neither of those. It's not that his readers used to be happy in verses 3 to 5, and then something happened, and in verse 6 they're now sad. And it's not that, um, they're, they're, uh, that they're mutually exclusive. It's actually that joy and sadness can coexist. That is emotionally complex, <laughs> right? You, you're a Christian. You're rejoicing in your salvation, and you're, you're grieving because of the suffering that you're going through. And I think as Christians, we wish that it was either one or the other. Maybe I can handle one or the other. I can just be, I can be happy or I can be sad and I'll just keep my head down and keep going. But actually, these things coexist. That there is a joy and there is a sadness and they happen at the same time. You see, there's joy because you know that no matter what, you've got this future inheritance that is glorious and secure. You've got the Savior who loves you and yet you are suffering loss. You're experiencing pain. You're undergoing all kinds of difficulties. You see, the grief drives you back to Jesus. And when you're talking to Jesus and processing with Jesus, you're reminded of how much he loves you. You're reminded of all the, the blessings you have in him, which fuels your joy. But it doesn't necessarily remove the grief. And so one of the things that this passage is calling us to, I think, is a more sophisticated and mature understanding of the emotional life of a Christian. It's not just happy or sad. It's both at the same time sometimes. And part of um, growing as disciples and learning to care for each other is being okay with that complexity. 
that you can't just say to someone, stop being sad because you've got this glorious inheritance. Because sometimes they know that, they're rejoicing in it, and they're experiencing grief. Grief is not a sign that you haven't uh, believed all the promises of God. Sometimes it's just the inevitable consequence of experiencing pain. We can be simultaneously sad and glad in a very complicated way that's hard for us to understand. And it's because of the dynamic that takes place that Peter talks about. Um, Take a look at verse 7. The dynamic is this, that faith is being tested by suffering like fire tests gold. So the comparison is that gold is like faith. But Peter goes on to say faith is obviously far more precious than gold. Gold is like faith, and gold gold has an a, a, a interesting relationship with fire. <laughs> on the one hand, the fire really burns the gold <laughs> and brings a lot of pain, if you like, into, the, into gold's life. <laughs> but fire purifies gold, and fire proves that gold really is gold. And Peter's saying that's what suffering does to faith. You see, faith and suffering have an interesting relationship. You know, suffering can really be painful. It can feel like fire. But suffering actually proves faith. It refines faith. It shows you that faith really is faith. It takes out all of the impurities. It purifies your motives. It actually helps clarify what is it that I'm really, what is it that I've really got my faith in? And just as fire, in the end, proves that gold really is gold, really is the genuine article, so Peter says that that suffering proves that faith really is faith. You really weren't just um, having a relationship with God like, you know, a kind of genie in the bottle that God, I just rub the lamp and then the genie comes out and gives me what I want. It's like I pray and God appears to give me what I want. Actually, real faith trusts God in the midst of suffering. Real faith looks to God for for who he has declared himself to be rather than the God I would like to exist. And that means (laughs) that means that suffering is productive for the Christian. This is quite quite remarkable because in a secular worldview, suffering always wins. Suffering always wins because suffering takes things away from you. Suffering takes away health, relationships, resources, time, money. Suffering always wins. Suffering is always the victor. But Peter says suffering actually becomes your servant because suffering purifies your faith. Suffering ultimately works for your benefit. Suffering isn't just the winner. You're the winner in the end because In verse 9, Peter says, When you persevere through suffering by continuing to rejoice in Jesus, you receive the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. You see, unlike in the secular worldview, we recognize that suffering doesn't always win. Suffering actually works for us by purifying our faith, strengthening our faith, which is, of course, the very means by which we come into our eternal inheritance. So suffering, in the end, strengthens you and helps you. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the outcome of your faith. And this is the complexity of the Christian life. You're suffering grief and you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy at the same time. That is complicated. (laughs) It means that our inheritance is absolutely secure. And in the end, in the end, everything will be okay. Uh, One of my favorite movies in the last few years was a movie called The Very Exotic Marigold Hotel. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. Lots of fun. Uh, Dev Patel plays this very um, ambitious and uh, optimistic a uh, hotel kind of entrepreneur. He wants to get this very exotic marigold hotel up and running. And uh, throughout the movie, you know, he runs into all kinds of problems, uh, liquidity problems, uh, and, uh, staffing issues, all kinds of challenges he's facing, both with his hotel and in his personal life. And investors keep coming to him and saying, you know, when, where is the money? Where is, when is this thing going to kind of be viable? And they keep putting pressure on him. And to, to kind of fend them off, he says, everything will be okay in the end. If everything's not okay, it's not yet the end. <laughs> everything will be okay in the end. And if, if everything's not okay, it's not yet the end. So just be patient and hang on. And that's what Peter is saying. Everything will be okay in the end. Everything. Everything that you, you're going through, everything that you're facing, all the pain, all the complexity, all of the unanswered questions, all of the shattered dreams, all of the disappointments... Everything in the end will be okay because you will receive this glorious inheritance. If everything's not okay, it's not yet the end. So keep on going. You can rejoice in your present experience. But it's not that you're rejoicing in the suffering, right? That's what verse 8 makes clear. It's that you're rejoicing in Jesus in the midst of the suffering. It's not that suffering is pleasant. It's not. It causes grief. But verse 8... You see the one, you love the one you do not see. You believe in him. And that faith fills you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You will receive the outcome of your faith. It is absolutely guaranteed. It is being kept safe in heaven for you. And God himself is guarding your faith so that you will get there. So we can rejoice in our future inheritance. We can rejoice in the midst of painful Uh, circumstances in the present, and finally, we can rejoice because of our privileged position. It seems like a bit of a kind of um, change in topic when Peter starts talking about prophets and angels, but he's actually making a remarkable point. Verse 10, concerning the salvation, the salvation we've just been talking about and rejoicing in, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Peter's point is that the Old Testament prophets um, were predicting the gospel, prophesying about the gospel, but they could only do so in a kind of less than high definition way. They searched intently with the greatest of care, but they didn't see it clearly the way we see it. But 
to be a prophet would have been in a pretty privileged position, right? I mean, imagine being Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Uh, imagine being one of those guys. I mean, you would have thought, man, this is a pretty privileged position. I'm in a, I'm in a really special position in God's family, in God's kingdom. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm writing very long books that uh, people struggle to read. Um, I'm being used by God. I'm really in a privileged position. But Peter's point is that we are in a better position than they are. Because they sort of couldn't see the gospel as clearly as us, who've heard it by those who've preached it to us. So it might be striking to think of it this morning, but you're in a far better position than Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. You're in a way better position than those guys. It's sometimes easy for us to think, well, I'd be able to cope with the suffering and the difficulties of life if, if I was like Isaiah, you know, or something like that. If I really, if I, or Ezekiel or something, if I had these incredible visions, and th- then my faith would be strong, then I would not struggle to doubt God. But Peter's point is that you're in a way better position than Isaiah or Elijah or any of these prophets. I mean, they did their best to predict the gospel. They, the Holy Spirit was pointing uh, to them about, about the sufferings of the Messiah and the glory that would follow. But we have experienced the gospel. Right? But it gets even better than that. Because we're not just in a better position than the prophets. We are in a better position than the angels. Let's take a look again at verse 12. Even angels long to look and see these things. Peter's saying the angels long to look into the gospel. And I think what he's saying is that the angels know about the gospel. They're amazed by the gospel. But they, they only can sort of look at it from a distance. We've experienced the gospel. The angels haven't experienced the forgiveness of their sins, the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. The, the, the angels haven't experienced what you've experienced if you're a Christian. The, the prophets haven't experienced what you've experienced if you're a Christian. You've experienced the grace of the gospel. You've experienced it from the inside. The angels are looking from the outside, and they're going, wow, that's, that's, that's incredible. Look at all that going on over there. And, and they long to look into it. And, and we are in the privileged position of experiencing the gospel from the inside. Let me try and give you an analogy. It's, it's a little bit like um, the difference between watching a sports event and being on the field. Okay, so uh, I, uh, I really um, enjoy watching uh, different kinds of sports. Uh, athletics is quite a nice one to watch. I really enjoy it when the Olympics come around. I can actually um, uh, have a little bit of experience with that because when I was in, in, uh, in high school, I did some athletics events, and actually we had our triangular against Paul Ruiz out here in Kitzenberg. Always a very painful event uh, for... Uh, for our school and for me, because I did the one five and three thousand meter race, so that's a very you know if you lose hundred meter race badly, you lose it by like four seconds. If you lose the three thousand meter race badly, you can lose it by a long way, <laughs> and you still have to finish. <laughs> so anyway, anyways, um, yeah, I don't want to. I'm getting I'm tr- I'm getting triggered by all my all of my memories of going to Kitzenberg. Um, Anyway, so I, I quite enjoy watching athletics, despite all these negative associations with it. And, uh, and 
especially when the Olympics come around. I mean, the Olympics are, you know, just a, a really special time. You see all these athletes representing their countries, and they're, they're on the track, and they're really giving it everything they've got, right? And you can see the pain, and you can see the suffering, but you can also see all of the glory. You see them really laying it out on the line and giving it everything. And, and when we watch that, we can get really excited, you know? Uh, we're like cheering people on, we're, we're wanting them to succeed, we can see how they're struggling, but we also know for them, this is an incredible privilege, you know, to be able to represent their country, to win a gold medal. I mean, those will be memories that they never forget. And it's the same maybe if you see loved ones playing sport, maybe you, your kids or your siblings, you see them doing well in the sports field, you can see they're like, man, this is really hard for them, they just got really you know, strongly tackled by someone or they've hurt themselves, but you see them persevering through it, you see them accomplishing something, and you know this is a special memory for them. They're really going to they're treasure this. They're, they're in a privileged position to be on the field. Well, what Peter is saying is that the prophets and the angels are in the grandstands and we're on the field. We're experiencing all of these privileges, all of these blessings, all of the work of God in the gospel, forgiving our sins, giving us joy, giving us perseverance, refining our faith. All of these things are for us. We're on the track. We're winning the gold medal. And sure, there's a lot of pain and, and, uh, and you're getting a stitch and uh, you want to fall over every now and then, but you're going to get the gold medal you're in a far better position. The angels are in the grandstands and they're like cheering you on and the prophets are, are saying, man, this is, what we, we, this is what the Spirit of God was pointing us to. But these people are experiencing it. That's you. You're in a more privileged position than the prophets and the angels because you are experiencing the gospel from the inside. You know what it's like to have your sins forgiven. You know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit bring joy in your heart, giving you strength and suffering. And so Peter says, let's rejoice. Though we go through trials of various kinds, we've got this glorious inheritance. We've got this inexpressible joy in the midst of grief. And we've got this privileged position. Well, how did this all happen? How did we get so blessed? How did all of these blessings come to us? Well, let's just end by looking again at verse 3. Peter says, In God's great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Peter tells us that these privileges are ours because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Of course, that's Peter's shorthand way of talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the gospel. The, the fact that Jesus lived the life we should have lived but couldn't. That Jesus died the death we deserved, took the punishment we should have taken. You see, all of these privileges are ours because Jesus lost out on his privileges. We can experience all of these blessings because Jesus experienced punishment. We can have this remarkable experience of forgiveness and joy and future glory because of what Jesus went through for us. More than just suffering and dying on the cross, though, and taking our sins, Jesus was raised again from the dead. 
and now by faith has united you to himself. And because he lives forever, you will live forever too. Because he will be king of the new heavens and the new earth, you will be there too. This this um, joy, these privileges, all of these blessings are yours in Christ, because of Christ, because of what he's done. And so as we close today, I want to encourage you again to rejoice in Jesus. It's, it's the same old message that you probably hear every week. <laughs> but rejoice in Jesus. It never ends. It never gets old. Even though it's old news, hopefully, it's still good news. These are privileges we never want to take for granted. No matter how often we hear them, no matter how many times we come to church and it's the same thing, it is good news and it is a privilege and a joy that we will be delighting in for eternity. So let's, let's help each other to never take these things for granted. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed by your grace. Thank you that even this morning as we've reflected on the fact that we are children of wrath, we don't deserve your blessing or love. In Jesus Christ, you have given us incredible mercy and grace. You've given us a future inheritance that is glorious and secure. You've given us the ability to rejoice in the midst of pain and suffering. And you've put us in a more privileged position than prophets and angels. We pray that you would help us by your spirit never to take the gospel for granted. Help us to keep rejoicing in Jesus, to keep delighting in all that he is and all that he's done for us. Amen.